the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Welcome to Hour 2 of tonight's Andrea K. Show. Super excited to have you guys here with me for this hour, this hour of tonight's show because we've got a real-life military hero with us to share with you, you guys an amazing um, organization called United Through Reading that has helped connecting service people that are deployed with their families back at home. And y'all know how important the U.S. military is to me, being the daughter of two Marines. And I know well what it's like to be separated. So I'm just really thrilled to be able to share this story with you. Joining me now to discuss is Tim Farrell. He is CEO of United Through Reading. And he's also, like I said, a military hero. He served as an American airman for more than 23 years. He was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Iraqi freedom. He knows what it's like to be separated. And so now he's dedicated his life with this, with United Through Reading to help families. And he joins me now. Hi, Tim Farrell. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, just a point of order there. Um, I'm the farthest thing from a hero, but I might have carpooled with a few over the years. (laughs) Well, I think you're a hero in spite of the fact that you may not be a Marine, which is my favorite branch since I was born at Lejeune. Thank you. Um, no, you are a hero. I mean, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and Iraqi Freedom. I mean, wow. Um, let's start there. What was it like? Tell everybody what it's like to be a member of the U.S. military and be separated from your family, especially during the holidays. Uh, so many of us have done that, Andrea, and it's a, it's a labor of love for us. But what we're what we can often take for granted is the impact on those military families, mm-hmm. and in particular, the impact on our military connected children. You know, in a lot of ways, we signed up for this. Our military spouses sort of signed up for this, but our military-connected children had no vote in the process. And uh, there are anxieties that come with that, and there's fears of uh, separation. Um, Regardless of the reason um, any military parent is away from home, whether it's for combat deployment, but even for training, even for exercises, even for ships going underway, um, when you get right down to it, gone is gone. And that's Mm -hmm. why United Through Reading exists, to strengthen and reinforce those bonds of uh, military connect- military families uh, through the power of shared reading aloud, no matter the distance. Well, it sounds amazing, you know, and, and my parents' day during the Vietnam War, we didn't have any way to stay connected. I mean, Daddy, Daddy was gone for 13 months at a time, and, you know, it takes a long time to get a letter from Okinawa or somewhere, or, you know, um, back to, you know, Lejeune. So um, the disconnect was real. And then and it, and it just and not only was it painful for families to be separated, but then, it, you know, the the reconnection when they come back 
is is awkward because you've you've it, the the disconnection is is tough from so many different angles and levels and any way to stay connected between uh the families and particularly for the children is so so important i i know it firsthand and so tell everybody how, how it works what is united through reading and and how does this help them stay connected well you're spot on uh andrea with regard to how over time, uh, the technology has gotten better. Uh, methods of communication have gotten better. And I'm very fortunate that uh, the only um, I was a father at the tail end of my career. And I got to take advantage of the programs in United Through Reading while I was an active duty airman deployed multiple times to Iraq. Um, United Through Reading has been um, with us since 1989. Uh, so we've got 33 years of impact with uh, nearly 3 million military members and their families um, benefiting from the program. It started uh, Pierside in San Diego hmm. with um, books and VHS tapes and recorders handed out uh, as ships were as ships were getting underway and handing those books to the family members uh, so that stories could get recorded by the military member and sent back through the U.S. mail um, to the uh, to the families. There are some, uh, and the technology has evolved over time to where we've gone from CDs, or excuse me, to from VHS tapes to CDs to DVDs, and now um, in certain uh, locations where internet access is not as uh, robust, and that's mostly on ships. Mm-hmm. Um, we use S- we use SD cards, um, but United Through Reading has more than 200 uh, recording stations all over the world um, on ships in battalions and squadrons, in morale, warfare, and recreation facilities, in the libraries, you name it. Um, you've also uh, got, we've also got the capacity for um, every military member in their family to have a United Through Reading recording station in their pocket uh, through the very secure um, United Through Reading app, where um, a family member can uh, record, record a story and um, have that story on demand for that military-connected child uh, to be able to have mom, dad, their parent, guardian, caregiver, whoever that might be, able to um, connect with them on demand through a recorded story. And uh, the research shows that uh, those are difference makers mm-hmm. in terms of well-being, in terms of, yeah. um, in terms of decreasing anxiety, and in terms of uh, helping with literacy. You know, just a couple of examples. 93% of the families that have taken part in United Through Readings programs and services that we've surveyed have uh, reported that it's made those family bonds stronger. 98% of those families have said that our programs are a critical family readiness and resiliency tool. And 97% of uh, those families have said that it's made deployment easier. And that's where the, uh, that's the uh, proof positive of what uh, so many wonderful staff, volunteers, um, investors have created for United Through Reading over a 33-year time span. And I'm just so fortunate and so grateful to uh, now be the guardian and the standard bearer for this wonderful organization and mission. Well, it is a wonderful organization and a wonderful mission. I was just thinking about how this could have helped my family and how tough it was for my dad. I I, I guess, um, you know, when he came back from one of his deployments, I was still so young that I actually thought my Uncle Sam was my dad. And, you know... I mean, it was really hard, you know, my dad, you know, that, I mean, we had no relationship. I mean, how do you have, you know, you, when you're, when you leave with, when your child's one month old and you come back and they're, you know, 14, you know, it's just, without the ability to stay connected, it just really 
it makes it next to impossible for uh, the families to keep a bond and to reconnect when they come back from de- from deployment. And then when there's deployments over and over again, it's just it's just terrible for the families. And I just think about how this might have helped us and how it has helped so many people to stay connected, to keep a bond. It's a way for, you know, these, these servicemen and women, they don't get to read, you know, books to their children at nighttime, at bedtime. It's a way to, it's a way to supplicate that, you know, supplement that. And uh, as, as well as the fact that reading is fundamental, reading is good for kids, reading is good for families and good for everybody. And so and I would imagine that it would be a good way for the military personnel too to, to be able to step away from the grind of where, wherever they're at, whatever their mission is, wherever, wherever they are, wherever they're serving, to also spend time in a book right? And get to share that with their kids. So it's just wonderful. Tell everybody how they can help support uh, United Through Reading. Well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for uh, your story, um, Andrea, because every every grown-up uh, military-connected child um, has a unique story. And the older you are, uh, just like you outlined, um, it does tend to uh, skew to the separations were harder because mm-hmm. of tech, because of the, the lack of technology, because of the speed or lack thereof of the uh, of the U.S. mail at the time. Uh, not by anybody's fault, but just by by the nature of the fact of time and distance. Um, that's why we're so grateful uh, for the technology that we've been able to implement, and we couldn't do that without the uh, generosity of wonderful Americans, be they individuals, foundations, corporations. And uh, the way to uh, help us, uh, the best way to help us, would be to log on to www.unitedthroughreading.org to see the, uh, the wonderful stories and testimonials about how um, creating that shared reading experience allowed, no matter the distance, has helped these military families. And for those, uh, for those who are able uh, to please consider a gift to United Through Reading, again, at www.unitedthroughreading.org. Well, God bless you. Thank you for your service. Merry Christmas. And I just appreciate so much what you're doing. And thank you for being here tonight. Well, again, I'm grateful uh, for you, Andrea. I'm grateful for the wonderful Americans who uh, listen to your show. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And again, www dot united reading.org thank you so much andrea Th- thank you all right we're going to take a break we come back we've got more to share with you guys on the other side of the break do you know what glovid is <laughs> yeah stay tuned ak dynamite and address or just andrea k whatever you call her don't call her fake news it's the andrea k show on the answer san diego Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. I was, I was asking Skins during the break if that was Carrie Underwood. That was beautiful. Wow, what a song. You know, I'm just, there's some Christmas songs that just make me all like bouncy, and there's some that just hit you right in the heart. And boy, that was absolutely beautiful. Um, how do I segue from that that hits you right in the heart to this clip from Joe Biden? <laughs> Your daily dose of non-clarity, your daily dose of what the huh. Here it is, clip one. And other partnerships in global health security to help save lives and combat COVID-19. 
That was actually one of his more cogent comments that he made when he was over at the leadership summit, supposedly. I've got a question for you, Skins. Can you help me to understand, and I know you're not feeling well, but so you don't have to talk much, but can somebody help me to understand why CNN is obsessed with Meg, this this Netflix series about Megan and Harry, because if we understand that CNN exists to be the mouthpiece for the Democrat Party, what is the end game for them here? Are they trying to set up this 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 person to run for office or something? Is that what the end game is here with this with this push for this Netflix show? Couldn't tell you. I've got to. I've got to wonder about but this. They are because, obsessed. Well, they are obsessed. I mean, the, CNN is up on the monitors tonight, and it, it, they've got right now a view from London. Buckingham Palace says it won't comment on the Netflix doc. I mean, like this is supposedly something that's supposed to matter to the U.S. There's an end game here. You know, CNN is always trying to work an end game, and I can tell you right now. I, I I do think that she's got political aspirations. He obviously, um, you know, is is her little sidekick. If they were in, uh, the, remember those old motorcycles that used to have the little the little side seat? What are those called? The sidecar is that the sidecar? You know, if they were in a motorcycle with a sidecar, he'd be in the sidecar, right? <laughs> In fact, that should be his new nickname, Sidecar Harry, right? Um, So she's, I guarantee you, she's got some political aspirations and the left is trying to set the stage for her. I don't think she's got a chance of winning a congressional seat. They, They would have to steal it for her. I don't think she's got the charisma. I don't think she's got any kind of following. I think they're trying to manufacture it. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Speaking of CNN, uh, they're absolutely upset. They are with how Elon Musk is handing out the Twitter files. Uh, This is what they had to say today um, about the way that um, Musk is is sharing with the public the truth behind the scenes at Twitter. Clip three. And I think a lot of the Twitter files, I mean, more transparency is great. I think Donnie and I would have loved to receive a cache of files exposing or revealing our email. Oh, I bet you there. would. Yeah, we would. Slide we into would. our DMs, Elon, <laughs> with the files, please. I think the problem here, though, is that Elon Musk is effectively serving as a gatekeeper for this information. He is not giving it to newsrooms. He That's is true. giving it to handpicked journalists who are then agreeing to the condition, at least one condition, of uh, tweeting out the files instead of posting my news stories. So I, I think that's, that's not the spirit of free speech. No. no. And, okay. I actually thought this was an interesting clip because I am interested in free speech. This is a, an absolute core passion of mine. It's actually why I started doing the radio show. And I, and, uh, and I kind of want to also throw it out there to you guys. They, I think in, in a sense, we know CNN is lamenting the fact that Twitter hasn't given uh, the, the background and the files to them, not because they're upset that Elon Musk is acting as the gatekeeper. It's because they want to be the gatekeeper. That's the role of CNN. That's why I'm asking about CNN do, giving practically an entire hour of coverage on this dopey Netflix special about the spare and a G-lister actress who was on a show nobody ever watched. I mean, it's crazy to me. So of course, CNN wants to be the gatekeeper of the truth about what's going on with Twitter. But I also think they've got a little bit of a point because I don't need Barry Weiss or Matt Taibbi to be the gatekeeper either. So I I do think that there is a, a point here in terms of getting the information out there. I don't think it has anything to do with free speech. The free speech issue here, who are they? Who is CNN to be complaining about free speech? 
right? Who are they to be complaining about free speech? Because we all know that the reality is, is that the Democrat Party has colluded with big tech. The U.S. government colluded with big tech in order to, as with their mouthpieces in the media, to literally control the outcome of our elections by controlling our speech. What is the greatest expression of our speech? It's our, it's our First Amendment right. It's our vote, Right. So it's laughable that they would be complaining or trying to characterize that Trump, that uh, Musk tweeting out or or, uh, disseminating the Twitter files information is somehow a violation of free speech. And then you've got the incoming Democrat uh, vice chair who actually who who, uh, has basically said suppression of free speech is irrelevant skins i don't i had this pulled this clip the other day i'm not sure if you still have this one handy incoming democrat vice chair calls suppression of speech on twitter irrelevant so recently he put out a statement on social media saying what he's going to focus on is hunter biden's laptop actually it's even more irrelevant than that he's actually concerned about what twitter was saying about hunter hunter biden's laptop so uh, the suppression, suppression of speech and the suppression of a, a story involving criminal corruption with a presidential candidate and a former vice president is irrelevant. That's what they're trying to tell you. And, of course, these are the same people that told you, particularly on CNN, that Donald Trump had colluded with Russians to control the outcome of an election. Right. Which we know was a flat out lie. There's nothing irrelevant about the suppression of speech. There's a battle going on within the Republican Party for Speaker of the House. We heard about the weeper of the House. John Boehner came back. I'm in full support of the battle going on within the Republican Party. There's people for, for the speakership position. There's people complaining that Andy Biggs is throwing a, a, a wrench into the works because they should be able to be they should be focused right now on committee positions and uh, making plans for subpoenas and investigations and all this. But now they've got this this fight over the speakership. Look, you have to have this fight first because the most important thing is the leader right because there's a little piece of information that most people haven't been talking about that i really didn't know anything about there was something called a voting to vacate the chair that was an arcane rule from back in the day that should have never been vacated they should have never vacated the vacate the chair rule and what that was was it was the idea was in order for there to be accountability, that once somebody got voted, that just because somebody got voted Speaker of the House didn't mean that that was a position that they got to keep and that they could not be fired. Somewhere along the way, the, the, and so what it, what it was supposed to be was that if somebody got voted in as Speaker of the House, that if, if people weren't happy with their job, that they could vote to, quote, vacate the chair and get rid of them. And somewhere along the way, that was removed. Why did we remove that? There's your accountability. There should be a mechanism to remove somebody who, who's not doing their job. And that's why, one of the main reasons why, Biggs is like, we're not coronating you as Speaker of the House. You've don't, you haven't shown any ability to truly lead from a conservative standpoint. All you, in fact, all you've done is show, is show an, an audio tape to the world when you demanded that Trump, uh, when you said that Trump should, should resign on January 6th after he'd done nothing wrong. You've shown to the world you're weak. You're part of the, you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. Not only, should, not only would we be crazy if we made you speaker again, but put you in a speaker where there's no accountability and there's no way for you to be pulled down from the chair? No. No, it ain't happening. So we better get it right. 
We got lots of time. Don't tell, don't tell me, oh my gosh, it's so urgent. We got to have committee chair positions. We've had how long? We've had years and years and years of so-and-so is the head of judiciary. So-and-so is the head of oversight. So-and-so is the head of here. And then nobody's ever held accountable. I'm not interested in leadership positions that don't produce results, particularly in the form of accountability. I don't care. What have we learned? What we can learn right now with the 12 Republicans or so that are about to uh, sign on to kneecap the incoming con- uh, Republicans going to control the House with this big spending that they're about to give the Dems, uh, is that there is no win just by having an R after somebody's name. We talked last hour about the RNC. Their definition of a win is raising money because that's all they care about. They get to raise money, then they get to go spend $300,000 to take families to a spa retreat. Somebody named Katie Walsh, I think that was the haint that was worked for Mike Pence, was paid big bucks to speak at this little retreat. $300,000 they spent on a box for the Raiders game in Vegas. If you go pay $300,000 for a box, why would you do it for the Raiders? Really? I know there's some crazy Raider fans, but... I'm not a football fan in any way, shape, or form, but I can tell you it would not be for the Raiders. Only the Raiders... At least if you got a box at, at the Superdome in New Orleans, you could get some good food, right? Some culture, right? Crazy. All right, I'm going to take a break in a minute. Oh, you know what? Tomorrow's Friday, the day after that. Did y'all know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hang out at Iron Mountain? Go visit my boy, Dapper Dan, my second favorite dog after my new boyfriend, after Gator. I can't take Gator with me because, I, you know, Gator would not want to share me with Dapper Some Dan. Some serious jealousy going on Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And so I'm super excited to go. Christmas is only, uh, it's, it, it's about 10 days away from us. So I don't know about y'all, but I got to do my last minute Christmas shopping. So I, I like to shop local and I shop brick and mortar. I never shop online. That's just a truism about me. And if I was, it wouldn't be clothing. I got to see the fabric. I got to touch it. I got to make sure it's well-made and particularly make it. And that's how you judge whether or not something's reasonably priced, right? Because you can tell, you can tell by the quality. And let me tell you everything at Iron Mountain, super high, high, the highest of quality at reasonable prices for the best gear out there from Filson to Browning, Carhartt, that's where you need to go. They don't just have clothing items. They've got all kinds of accessories. I'm telling you, some of the most amazing bags that you could give to the lady in your life who likes high-quality bags, backpacks, luggage, super high-quality twill, leather straps like a saddle, just absolutely amazing. I'm going to go hang out there Saturday, pick up some gear. I'm not going to say what I'm going to get for who because some of my peeps might be listening. 8493 La Mesa Boulevard, look for the standing bear outside, and little Mr. Dapper Dan on the inside. And PJ will show you around. So if you don't know, like if you're not familiar with some of these brands, you don't know the Mackinac jacket everybody's raving about from Yellowstone, PJ knows. You just need to go there. And if you don't know sizes and you're just not sure, then you can get a gift card. And you don't even have to worry about losing the gift card because she tracks it all. So let me tell you, go get hooked up at Iron Mountain Outfitters in La Mesa. And speaking of getting hooked up, I'm going to hook you up with some more amazing show content on the other side of the break. Andrea Kay, telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea Kay Show on The Answer San Diego. 
Okay, so Skins and I figured it out. We figured this whole thing out. We couldn't, I, I, for a while I couldn't figure out why, so far now going on 35, 40 minutes of CNN, why in the world they were covering this, what is apparently a snore fest on Netflix involving um, uh, alleged princess of Montecito uh, and the spare, right? Why? So I think we figured it out. Skins yeah, I mean, and- you figured it out, but I agree with you. I just thought CNN was that celebrity obsessed and it made no sense to me whatsoever. It didn't, but I think here's where we're going here. <coughs> um, I think that uh, CNN um, as, as part of the agenda pushing that America is systemically racist and evil and horrible. Um, follow me here because this is a, the stories about Britain and Buckingham Palace, but who is our greatest ally? Britain, right? The UK. Who are we aligned with? This and this is a story of America coming together with the UK. So basically, but that what they're doing with this story is that basically the UK was racist against Megan, and there and she's American, and now, um, but but basically we're we're all part of this this family, the UK, and I'm not explaining as well as I did to you over the break. Right. (laughs) It's about racism. It's about pushing the notion that the UK and the United States of America were both systemically racist. And if you don't like this story, there's a reason for that. Yeah. And if you don't like this story, if you're not all in on Megan, then you're a racist, too. Right. That's the play. That's what it is. So. No, it couldn't be the fact that she's just incredibly unlikable. I was one of these people that I watched the wedding. I was excited. I thought I actually thought she was beautiful. I thought, oh, gee, Lister, never heard of her. Um, I always thought of him as a brat and thought, well, maybe, you know, because he behaved like a fool, like a chump when he was younger with the black face, with the Nazi uniform, running around, chain smoking, drunk, didn't really have a whole lot of respect for him compared to William in, in his young adulthood. Um, so I, I didn't have a negative thought about her. Neither did the world. The whole story was that everybody thought this was great until they started showing what brats they were and how self-absorbed they were. And, you know, then then people stopped, you know, not wanting anything to do with them. But, of course, if you're not continuing to fall all over um, a left, a lefty, if you don't go along with their program and, and leftists are just in general, they're narcissist. And if you don't go along with everything that they want, then something's wrong with you. You're evil and you must be destroyed and they're going to persecute you. And that's that's really what the play is here. Speaking of across the pond, I was also thinking that what was going on with these hearings in the past couple of days with the shooting uh, in Colorado with the gay club and then bringing all these gay people, uh, the part not just gay people, but part of the LBGTQ to Congress was about... Um, you know, just continuing to push the narrative in general, really where this is going with the use of um, the use of um, bringing them there and tying any criticism of the LB stating that any criticism of the LBGTQ community will result with more people of them being shot like what happened in Colorado Springs in spite of the fact that the shooter was non-binary. Where they want to go with it is they want to criminalize speech. That if you say anything opposite to them, you're putting their lives in danger. And then I see this story, and I've been thinking about that yesterday and today, and I see this story in Breitbart about um, coming out of um, Norway, and a Norwegian filmmaker faces three years in jail for saying transgender women can't be lesbians. Men are men regardless of their sexual fetishes. 
And whether or not you agree, because basically what a transgender woman is, it's a biological man who now says he's a woman. And so what this person was saying, this filmmaker was saying, you're not a lesbian because to be a lesbian, you've got two women. And if you're a biological male, it doesn't matter how you alter your body. You're still a man. So you're not a lesbian. That's basically what his point was. And for that, he's looking at three years in jail. This is the end game of what they want and why those hearings were taking place about rhetoric. And I take back my praise of Nancy Mace. I played the clip of Nancy Mace calling out this LBGTQ person. I like the fact that Nancy Mace showed, hoisted that, that Libby on his own petard by showing a tweet where this Libby libtard was calling for literally for Supreme Court justices to be, quote, accosted. But the problem that I didn't zero in on with Nancy Mace's exchange is that when she was talking about how she was attacked herself, she tied it to rhetoric. There's no Republican that should should be pushing forth the narrative that political speech is the cause of somebody else being physically accosted. Because that sets the stage and paves the way for hate speech legislation. For, for whatever words we use that come out of our mouth are now the cause of physical violence. There's no word that I could ever call you that would justify you striking me, physically accosting me. I am never responsible for anybody else's behavior. No Republican should be going down the road of talking about how rhetoric is the cause of any violence. The only person responsible for violence is the person who commits the act of violence. And it's not going to stop because you criminalize speech. The only violence, it's not going to stop any violence. Has, has, have the, have, uh, did the Black Lives Matter and Antifa, did, um, did they ever end? They just, I guess it petered out. But, you know, during the summer, during the summer of love, um, you know, the, suppressing speech didn't stop anybody. People weren't allowed to go out and take the streets. You weren't allowed to speak up or say anything. If you spoke up against Black Lives Matter and Antifa, you got a c- cement milkshake on you. Right. And so people stopped speaking up. Did it end their reign of terror? No, they continued. Because when you give a bu- when you cave into a bully, you just empower them. You embolden them. Three years for words that came out of his mouth. And by the way, Norway is part of the great socialist Scandinavia that the left, the left loves so much. This is why we've got to be saying, and, and it reminds me back of our conversation with Martin Moyer from last hour when he was talking about how uh, the, the need for God in our society, because it's about, it's about cementing, it's the greatest expression of Americanism because it's about understanding truths right? One truth is that our rights come from God, not from man. We, we believe in natural law that my rights come from God, not from man. And you don't have the right to take my, to my speech away and infringe on any of my freedoms because of your feelings. We're going to take a break. We come back. Interesting story out of Australia a nation that was had some of the most extreme lockdowns over COVID and mandates. I think I think Australia was practically right up there. I don't think they welded people into their homes, but it wasn't much better. And there's an interesting story about the shots that uh, Skins uh, made me aware of today. We're going to share that with you on the other side of the break. Andrea Kay, bringing the world a much-needed reality check. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. 
welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. So we've got an Australian cardiologist who has called, uh, has is calling for a halt to the mRNA COVID nineteen shots, citing troubling patterns. Here's one story. Um, Melanie Leffler, mother of two in Sydney, Australia, had four COVID shots. Uh, but on November 19, after coming down with a sore throat and a runny nose, Leffler tested positive for COVID. Oh, gee, so so much for effective, right? But she said goodnight to her family, her husband, Mick Hogan, and their two daughters. They never spoke to her again. She died in her sleep. 39 years old, and she was a health care worker. 18-year-old Australian Monica Eskander couldn't wait to take her end-of-the-year exams. Uh, the There was a mandate that she get a shot in order to take her exams, Right. Immediately uh, after getting the shot, she had to be rushed to the hospital with severe chest pains, um, and she was diagnosed with COVID-related pericarditis, which is a condition that involves inflammation of the tissues lining the heart. Uh, Her symptoms were so severe that she couldn't take the test, and she only got the shot so she could take the test, right? So this uh, doctor is seeing so many of these issues, this cardiologist, that he is he is now calling for a ban on the use of the mRNA booster shots. I think there should be a ban on any of them, any of them. Why would it make sense, Skins, to have uh, to have it at all? It, it, you know, uh, if 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 getting four shots, you're still going to get you're still going to get COVID. Why would you get one shot? And if one shot's not, we already know one shot's not going to stop you from getting it and giving it. The idea is that you've got to get additional shots. So if the additional shots aren't going to work, if the additional shots are only going to increase your inflammation, you should never get one shot. Particularly if you're, if you're not in the high risk group, which is senior citizens with multiple comorbidities. There's nothing that makes any sense here. I don't even know why the cardiologist is is not is is only focusing on boosters, except maybe in, in the in the country of Australia, he might lose his medical license. I would probably bet that's the reason. Yeah, um, there's all these people that are still questioning what what happened in Cutter with that with that journalist over there who dropped dead in his late 30s. Probably got this shot. Dr. Joseph Lapido, the Florida Surgeon General, says he's no longer recommending the COVID shots uh, for men under 39 because of safety concerns. So if it's not safe for anybody under 39, why would it be safe for anybody 40? That doesn't make sense to me. These things should be banned. Very Very little positive effects, at least that I can see, Andrea. Yeah. What's the number one thing that that would help people? Avoid the comorbidities, right, if you're younger. Where the, the U.S. government, I don't know about any of the other countries, but the U.S. government has yet to start putting out public service announcements about avoiding the comorbidities that lead people to be the ones that die from it. And that Andrea, is how many PSAs have we seen out there about uh, eating right and exercising since yeah, this whole thing began? None. In fact, what they did was they increased the comorbidity issue by locking people inside their homes and continue to increase it by not telling people the truth. Right. Here's what uh, DeSantis had that um, he had the uh, conference down in Florida to discuss the shots. And he said he was he was signing a petition. He was wanting to impanel a grand jury to investigate the shots and any um, wrongdoings related to the shots. Well, to me, the wrongdoings related to the shots is pushing them out on the public in the first place when they weren't safe. Here's what one of the doctors who was there had to say about these shots. Um, it's, it, he said that uh, 
that the CDC saying the COVID shots are safe and effective is a lie, and that's not even a scientific term. Please play. It was clip six. Dr. Freeman, so you've been looking at this issue. Um, If someone came up to you and just said, you know, hey, doctor, are mRNA COVID shots safe and effective? How would you respond? Well, are mRNA shots uh, safe and effective? Well, I would say that from the day that these were authorized in December, there was uncertainty on if they were going, if the benefits were going to outweigh the harm. We didn't know. We did not know. It's not possible to have known that at that time. There were four people, I believe, who voted against authorizing it that day. In a climate of when everyone was scared, almost everyone, to vote no on that would have been. So there's uncertainty. There was definitely uncertainty on young people, people with no risk factors. That's clear. There was uncertainty when we authorized the booster. That is clear. We had all the scientists in the, or nearly all vote to not authorize it. They voted against authorizing it. Then the FDA came back and said, OK, how about just in over 65? Then they said, yes, we'll do it in over 65. Then the CDC, two to three weeks later, tries to authorize the booster for all ages. They scientists advisory board votes against it. CDC goes, eh, let's not listen to these guys. Just recommends it for all age groups. The safe and effective terminology that's been used has been based on uh, it, it's just been it's uncertainty. This is based on it's it's a lie. It it has to be. Absolutely, it's a lie. This was not safe and effective. They had no data on which to say it was safe and effective. You can Google and find videotape of a very young. Dr. Anthony Fauci talking about how it takes a minimum of 12 years to bring a safe shot, a safe vaccine to market. In fact, he has a record of making people sick, if not killing people. They actually, uh, with with vaccines, there was one in the early 80s that it only took, I think it was, and it was still far too many people. I think it was young kids at that point. it It was a childhood vaccine that after something like 14 kids died, they pulled it from market. We now know that at least just to, and, and VAERS is underreporting. It's only reporting about one percent. I think it's I think it's of around forty thousand people have died, and they're never going to like in the in some of these cases in this article out of Australia. Uh, the the doctors refuse when somebody comes. If you fell literally, if you fell off a ladder and died, they counted it a COVID de- death. But if you get the shot. And you're immediately practically having a heart attack and you got pericarditis. They tell you it ain't got nothing to do with that shot, man. We've got how many people have to die before that we take steps to rectify what's going on. And part of the problem is how many people will die that will never be it will never be attributed to these shots. We have no idea the extent of the damage that's been done to the bodies of Americans and citizens all over the world. I mean, I think it's telling when you have these morticians coming up with weird things. Yeah. I've yet to watch the, the, uh, I keep, I've been so busy lately, died suddenly. Stu Peters had, had, um, and I think it, it didn't get as much plays. I think it, it got a lot of play, but I think many people that have been following the story already know and saw, but I encourage people to go watch it because I've seen some clips of it. The embalmers, it's mainly a story showing these embalmers and what they've discovered inside the, the, 
blood vessels and in, in, in the veins of Americans. And these are not normal blood clots. These are clot, clot shots that are killing the, uh, Americans. These shots range from everything to looking like hardwired surger, circuitry inside veins to long, it looks like, um, was it tendrils? Yeah, almost like octopus growing inside of human beings. These the, the the American people, as well as citizens around the world, have literally been a part of a human experiment. Barack Obama even said at one point, "Hey, you know, we're well, basically we're all a part of a hum- human trial." He said that, and that's the truth. And the problem with that is that people are supposed to decide whether or not for themselves they participate in a clinical trial. It's not supposed to be forced on the American people. You can't work unless you don't get jabbed by something that you don't trust and that has not been fully tested. That's wrong. It reminds me last hour we were talking to Martin Moyer about morality. How is that moral? How is that a moral position for the United States government to take? That you don't have a right to decide whether or not you're injected with a substance that hasn't been properly tested. And they've known. They knew it wasn't properly tested. And I will tell you, I suggest, we had uh, we had uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf on at one point talking about pregnant women. And they were not, there was not proper test done. I think it's because they, they didn't want enough testing done on pregnant women because they didn't want the, the results to come out. I'm going to spend some time looking to see if I can find some really good clips. We all know the big picture play here with the World Economic Forum, the globalist movement. We all know that they're about depopulation. I'm just going to say, and don't don't be adding me, calling me a conspiracy theory, because you know what? I've been right about everything. Was I not right about all everything related to COVID and the shots and the lockdowns? And yeah, the, let's just keep it short. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. It's about time for the American people to, to wake up and realize that our government it, it, it has corruption going on in it. We can't sit back and be Pollyannas anymore. We've got to be willing to fight for this country, fight for our nation. And it starts with us exercising our speech, right? Tomorrow's Friday. We're going to have Friday Fun Day, right? Um, hopefully we'll have something fun, a f- good fun idea for you guys. If, for shopping, if you haven't done your Christmas shopping, go to Iron Mountain Outfitters, shop local, shop brick and mortar. Um, this Norwegian filmmaker is a nominee for my hero of the week and stink of the week, because this is somebody from the artist community who specifically spoke out to challenge their hate speech legislation in Norway. So follow me on all the socials, Andrea K show, our 24 hour hotline, 844-814-5227. And come on back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Pacific time. See you then. Bob Walters will be here as always for his education segment. You never want to miss that. See you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.